Are you a Waratahs fan? Do you like saving money? Well, we've got an opportunity here for you. For the opening round of the Waratahs home campaign in Super Rugby Pacific 2024, we have a discount code which is going to enable you to spend only $20 on a gold seat at Allianz Stadium versus the Highlanders. So all you have to do is go to the Ticketek website for this match and use the code PICK and you will be able to get a $20 gold seat which would normally be setting you back 50 bucks. So if you love the TARS and you love saving money, this is the code for you. I look forward to seeing you there. Mitch and I are going to be there every single home game. Looking forward to it. And come on, you TARS. Forty-five meters back. Bernard Foley's got the lane. It's got the legs, the distance. Hi there, and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby. We are the people's podcast, providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. I'm your host, Mitch. Join me this week is co-host, Lockie. Lockie, how are you, mate? Mate, I'm good. I am totally zapped after six incredible games of Super Round. My brain's fried. My emotions are shot. The nerves are an absolute wreck after what was six games of probably the best domestic rugby we've seen in a few years. Mitch, how about you? Yeah, it's been an absolute cracker weekend of Super Round. Uh, I think if we'll talk a little bit later around the concept of Super Round, but this year it finally lived up to the name. This round was super, absolutely cracking round of games. Very, very close in all of them, uh, bar one. <laughs> but, I mean, as a New South Wales Welshman, I can't go much further than just saying, are we now the best Aussie side in the competition? Is that what's happened in round two? We've, d- we've done the Crusaders. Oh, there's no doubt now that the Tars win the comp from here. You can bank on it. If you're a betting man, go ahead, drop the mortgage. <laughs> it's yep. it's a good time to be a Tars fan, Mitch, and there's an extra reason for that because we do have a special deal through Pick and Drive with the Tars. Fantastic opportunity for those Sydney-based... Uh, I'm, I'm even saying, I've said it on Twitter last night, even Australian rugby fans don't even have to be a Waratahs fan. You could be a, uh, you know, a Canberran that's living in Sydney or a, a dirty Queensland Reds fan who is based in Sydney. But if you love Australian rugby, make sure you get out to Allianz Stadium next Friday, this coming Friday night. Uh, I believe it is the 8th of March, the Waratahs' first home game of the season. It is against the Highlanders. So uh, the after this fantastic weekend's results against the Crusaders, the Waratahs, we're hoping, can carry that through, that form through and play a really exciting brand of football against the Highlanders. Get another win on the trot, which, which would be fantastic. They need your support. So what we've done to be able to get as many people to that game as possible, we've partnered with the Waratahs and they've offered us a special code. So if you go to the Ticket Tech website, if you just type into YouTube or uh, not YouTube, uh, Google uh, Waratahs tickets, it takes you to Ticket Tech. If you put in PICK as the code, P-I-C-K, as in PICK for Pick and Drive Rugby, you can get $20 gold tickets. Now those tickets are normally $50. So you're saving yourself $30. It's an absolutely phenomenal saving for you tell all your friends get there we want to pack Allianz stadium for this friday night to cheer on the tars as they get back to sydney for the first time in 2024 if we can get a big crowd there supporting them there's no reason that they can't put in as good if not better performance than we saw this week against the crusaders so make sure you're there tell your friends be there both ando and myself will be there if you've already got tickets if you're a member you've got general admission whatever you've got make sure you head to tarbar Tarbar is the next best place to be. If not just in the stadium, it's Tarbar. That's where the dedicated, hardcore Waratahs fans are going to be this weekend. We're going to get loud. We're going to get noisy. We're going to get behind those Tars. We're going to make sure that they uh, get that victory against the Highlanders and start their season in style. Make sure that the board knows that they need to support Darren Coleman and extend him through to 2026. Uh, and it's just it's a great opportunity at the, t- at the moment to be a Waratahs fan. Yeah, get around him. 20,000. 20,000 to Allianz would be a fantastic start for the home games for New South Wales fans. So get down, use code PICK. That's $20 gold tickets through Ticketek and get down for what's going to be a cracking opening game at Allianz. But we've got six games to round out. Mitch, should we just jump in? Let's go. So let's start things off with the results from the tipping competition. Now, we do have to throw a little caveat out there uh, at the start of our podcast. We're recording on Sunday night. Uh, we're recording on the a uh, few hours after the end of the Reds and Hurricanes game. Now we will talk about that game in detail a little bit later. 
But for those that don't know, the game did go to extra point, golden point time. 33-all was the score at full time. Now, the tipping comp at the current time of recording is recording that as a win for the Reds, which in my books, I'm thinking it's a win too. I mean, the Reds, how good. We need another victory over the Kiwis here. But that does mean that they're counting that as a win when technically it was a loss. So if these results do change, uh, we might update these scores on Wednesday in our preview podcast. But at the current time, we have Travis M or, geez, that's a, an interesting name, Owatihai Awesome as his team, uh, which is, he's coming currently in first place on 11 points, followed very closely by Alad G or the Welsh Wizard in second place, also on 11 points. And Vince L or his team is the Blue Comey uh, in third place, also on 11 points. So well done to all those Guys, at the top of the competition, I'm currently sitting in 141. Lockie, do you know where you are on the table? I couldn't bear looking. I couldn't bear looking after the last game of the round, Mitch. We'll get to it later on. Fantastic. Well, let's just dive on into the podcast then, and uh, we will talk super round. So let's let's get into that next. All right, so this weekend was Super Round in Melbourne, round two of Super Rugby Pacific. Now, if you're not a uh, Russet On Rugby Union supporter, you might not know what the Super Round concept is. It's very similar to what we've seen in the NRL or the AFL in, in, current, in recent years, where all teams play in one location over the course of a weekend. So this weekend, all of the games were played at Amy Park in Melbourne. Uh, we had game, two games Friday, two games Saturday, two games Sunday. Now, this is the third year that this concept has been run and operated by TEG Sport. It is realistically, and I'm going to put it out there, this was the most competitive Super Round we've seen. Unfortunately, it probably wasn't the most well-supported by the fans in terms of the the overall crowd. I think we saw more people turn up last year uh, instead of what we saw this weekend. Not great crowds across the three days of competition. Now, Lucky, I just want to talk a little bit about the concept of a Super Round the fact that it's been played in Melbourne, we're not sure how this will go moving forward. With one, we understand the current financial situation with the Melbourne Rebels means we don't know if they're going to be in the competition next year. The Melbourne government have thrown their support behind this concept and they've, they've bought the rights for these first three years. Uh, as we understand it, the rights do go up for uh, negotiation next year and, and moving forward where the TEG do decide to keep this concept going. So my first question to you, Lockie, is, do you like the concept of Super Round and would you like to see it continue in the future? Yes and yes. Very simple answers to both of those. How it looks is bound to change. We know the changing landscape of Australian rugby means that Melbourne is under pressure at the moment. So if the concept is to continue, and I'd love that to happen, it's probably going to end up moving. So let's have a look and see some other options for how that could look. Last year, I remember the Stan Sport commentary team throwing up a concept of bull around, taking a, just six games out to the islands, which would be the incredible festival of rugby and a logistical nightmare. Uh, could it be hosted in Australia? Uh, Perth's shown its chops with the Sevens as a tournament host. Obviously, um, Brisbane hosts the league equivalent. But there's some great concepts and some ideas being thrown around to take it across to New Zealand. Personally, I love the idea of Superman going to Dunedin a big university yeah. town down and University of Otago students piling through from the zoo, maybe even condensing it, thinking about can we take it into a two-day tournament with three games a day, really pack it in and make it something for that central group of fans that maybe isn't being targeted as much. You know, we, we advertise the game to kids, we advertise the game to families, but what about the average Joe? What about the university student, your, your punters, your people who want to go out and have a bit of a rowdy time? Maybe that's a way to flip it in the future. But I think, Mitch, it's a blank canvas for where we can take Super Round because regardless of what you want to make of the crowd numbers in Melbourne, the games and the spectacle that we saw this weekend warrants a second look. Yeah, it's been very competitive. This weekend was fantastic. It really does live up to the mantra of Super Round. Um, the fact that all games bar one were very tight and either went down to the final minutes to decide it or the game was in the balance in those final minutes was just awesome. That's kind of what we want to see from Super Rugby Pacific, right? Just across the competition. We want it to be tight. We want it to be a, a flip of a coin of who's going to win week in, week out. The fact that we've had two weeks of the competition and we are so tight leading into round three is really exciting. Um, I guess my question for you around the concept of Super Round 
Uh, if you were if you were to run it again in future years somewhere else, uh, what could you do differently to attract more people? Now we know that a- uh, Melbourne or Amy Park is Melbourne in itself is it markets itself as the sporting capital of the world. It's got such a, a dedicated fan base for cricket, AFL, soccer, all of those well inbred sports in in Victoria or in Melbourne. Not so much the the Melbourne Rebels haven't been able to really crack and succeed in that market. We've now seen that Super Round over the last three years haven't been able to crack that market either. If we took it somewhere else, maybe do we have more union fans who are willing to turn up? Are they willing to turn up for two days? Are they willing to turn up for three days across the tournament? What else can we be doing to bring in fans to this concept to make it a success like Magic Round is for the NRL? It's a good question. I think the off-field entertainment is almost just as important. We saw over in the Perth Sevens bringing in music acts like Peking Duck, all their off-field activations like the Beach Club and the different um, bars that they had lined around the kids' activations. That was a really good atmosphere and it helped that HBF Park was outdoors as well so they could cater to the family side and also cater to the people who you know, want to go on a bit of a tear. So how do you find that balance? It's a It's a tough one, but I think you need to look at condensing the tournament and really changing the narrative of it's just about the rugby too. It's more than rugby. You know, Super Round Mm. doesn't just have to be about the on-field. We saw how good it is, but what about the fair weather fan or what about bringing your mate who's not a rugby fan but would love to have a couple of beers? That's the way I think we need to flip it, and I think it can be really successful. We look at some of the venues in the past that have hosted big atmospheres and one that comes to mind for me is Wellington, the old Wellington Sevens. It died off a bit towards the end, but it used to be a really big heaving atmosphere out there in the Windy City. So could we see Wellington, uh, Dunedin, as I mentioned before, I think it'd be a great option. But I think the concept needs to stay. I think at its heart, it's a really good idea. The team seem to enjoy being in the same spot. It certainly makes the broadcast a really special occasion, I think. And it's something that if done right and we can keep getting in before the major codes kick off um, around Australia and New Zealand, this is a great way for rugby union to sort of get its foot in first and re-establish itself. I think the competition or Super Round can't continue in Melbourne. I think we need to say that. And out of this is the third year the competition has run there. And I have been to Super Round in person for the last two. This is the first year that I didn't attend in person. And I found it really interesting this weekend turning the games on and just seeing through the screen if I felt like I was missing out. Like I had been there in person, I had felt what it was like to be at the tournament for the three days, and this was the first year not being there. I was wondering if I was going to sort of get FOMO, that, you know, oh, it looks so good, it looks like it's so much fun, I really wish I went this year. And I can't say that I did get that at all. Uh, I think the crowds last year built throughout the tournament, throughout the weekend, and by by that Sunday afternoon game, it was a really lively crowd. This weekend, unfortunately, the crowd didn't look in increasingly more from Friday night through to Sunday, even though, as we saw today, there was cracking two cracking games that had real potential to be the, the games of the weekend, uh, but the crowd didn't really respond with that. With the concept of Super Round, I'm not against the idea of playing all the teams together in this format. If we sort of shift focus a little bit to something that has been run in the past that was uh, was also run by TEG a few years ago was the Brisbane 10s. Now, this was a tournament that had all the Super Rugby clubs. It brought them all together. Uh, it was a pre-season tournament. Yes, it wasn't actually uh, 15s. It was a hybrid version of the game. It wasn't quite 7s. It wasn't quite 15s. It was a, a mixture with the, the 10s concept, so less players on the field. But it, it really brought in that atmosphere of like a 7s tournament, played across two or three days at Suncorp, um, not only did we have the Super Rugby teams represented, we also brought in wildcard international teams like uh, Panasonic Wild Knights uh, one year and a few European teams the other year. And I just thought that was a cool concept, that it doesn't necessarily have to be Super Rugby. It has the teams, it has the license. It's not played in the competition, but it's just something different and it brings in that international element that we're so craving within the tournament. I don't know whether that is something that we need to look at moving forward as, as something else that TUG could shift the focus to. Uh, maybe next year we do, as you said, move to a different venue, take it to Fiji, take it to Dunedin, take it to Wellington, see if we get more crowds across there, more interest. If not, maybe we just shelve it for a few years and we look towards something else that's going to be a little bit different to what Super Rugby brings throughout this throughout the regular season. Yeah, there's plenty of places to take it and I don't mind the idea of 
banking it for a couple of years to find the right answer. We can be patient with this. The Super Rugby Pacific brand is still young. It's still building. And if we can take it away and make it the perfect product, we don't know what that is. If we did, we'd be right at the top, Mitch. But if they take it away and they can perfect it, then we've got a great product that gets in before those Aussie rules, NRL pre-seasons kick off and really capture a new fan base. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do. And that's the point, right? Yeah, that exactly as you said, that's the point, trying to get new fans in who aren't necessarily rugby union fans to to have an interest in the sport, uh, follow one of these teams, maybe tune in who don't follow a team, see how well they played in one of the games and actually choose to just see how they go throughout the season, turn on Stan Sport or Channel 9 throughout the season and see how they go. Anyway, I think we've spoken enough about the concept of Super Round. Let's dive into the games now because we have um, eight games, oh, sorry, six game, six cracking games to get through. Now, the first game was played on Friday afternoon was between the Highlanders and the Blues. It was the first and only New Zealand derby. The final score in this one was 37-29 to the Blues. But geez, I've got to take my hat off to the Highlanders. They pushed the Blues a long way and they were ahead well and truly in the first half. Yeah, Highlanders are a great team to watch this year. I think we can take that away from their first round against Moana and then really taking it to the side that many are tipping to run away with the comp this year, the Blues. And to finish up 29-37 when I thought they were in with a bit of a shot earlier. They were up 15-8, just heading into half time, And then, bang, that three-try blitz that the Blues laid on either side of half time. they were up 29-15 before you could know it. It was an unbelievable run. Mark Talia had his hands all over it. Hoskins Satutu finished up with a hat trick. Um, it was a brilliant performance from the Blues and wrestling control back at halftime. But we mentioned them last week as well from the Highlanders. That combination at nine of Falafakatava and the Welshman Reese Patchell is really exciting. They laid on plenty of assists between. There was a great little grubber through for Patchell's try in the first half that Fakatava laid on. And I'm all about. Jacob Ratamadavuki Neatkins at fullback. We talked about him last week, but again, he was there. Got a great pill, um, great try. And the likes of Billy Harmon in the back row are real warriors. They're a team of battlers, and I love to see that. Yeah, who, who knew coming into the season that we'd be saying one of the, the best performing halfback combinations involves a Welsh player? <laughs> Rhys Patchell coming in. Didn't really know what to expect from him, but he's really ignited this Highlanders backline. And we've seen in the last two seasons, the last two games, sorry, that the Highlanders uh, are playing a lot better than we've come to expect them from the last few years. The Highlanders have recently been kind of the cellar dwellers of New Zealand, been down the bottom of the, the, the competition and either just scraping into the finals or being that Kiwi team that sort of just falls out of it. But this season, they've pushed the, they pushed the Blues this week and they pushed Moana, as we saw in their... their um, in round one, but we saw what they did against the Drua later on in this weekend. So they're not an easy beat side either. Really, really exciting to see that there's there's in, uh, that sort of the, there's things shifting in New Zealand, and I think that's the kind of takeaway from this weekend is that the going into Super Rugby Pacific, you have these sort of preset conceptions like the the Crusaders are going to win everything, the Blues will push hard, the Chiefs will push harder, and ultimately come up short and the Highlanders will be down the bottom of the competition. It's not the same this year. It's been tipped on its head, which is really exciting to see from an Australian perspective. It is, and that Highlanders team has Jamie Joseph's fingerprints all over it. He's obviously back from Japan now. He was there when the Highlanders got their gong back in 2015. He knows the DNA of that team, and you can see it coming out. They're abrasive. They love running the pill from everywhere. But you've got to flip it around. We're talking the Highlanders ups here, but they still got beaten by eight <laughs> points by a Blues team. That just would not quit. Stephen Perifetta going 80 metres from behind his own goal line at half time and eventually leading to the try for Satutu. I mean, that's ridiculous stuff. That's like Carlos Spencer, Quade Cooper style run from behind your line and score at the end. It was incredible to see from the Blues. I thought, we mentioned Hoskins Satutu hat trick, but he's now got five tries in two games. He's really putting his hand up and saying, hey, Scott Robertson, have a look at me in your stacked back row. And then players like um, Solomon Funaki at halfback had a really good shift. Dalton Papali'i continues to grow in that seven jersey for the Blues. And they're going to be a team that's going to be so hard to beat later in the year. Yeah, really exciting to see. Just an exciting team to watch. That, As, as you said, at halftime, um, with Perifetta there, like most people kick that ball out and he runs it in, himself, goes 80 minutes, scores a try. 
And it was really interesting listening to his interview with Alana Ferguson right on halftime after that try was scored. She kind of said like, well, what, what was going through your head at that point? Like most people just kick it out and then go to, go to oranges. And he's like, well, coach told us to kind of be, look up, see what's on. And if we think something's on, just back it. And so I just went with it and I just felt instinctually like it was on and it was on. So they, they are a really exciting team to watch. Hopefully they don't get too far ahead of themselves because there are some um, up and coming Aussie teams, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but let's carry through. We've got some more games to cover and let's focus on the first Aussie uh, derby of the weekend, which was the Rebels against the Force. Now, final score in this one was 48-34. And, geez, the Rebels, they did this comfortably in the end, but this was not a comfortable win by the Rebels by any margin. No, not at all. And when Michael Wells scored what about 50 minutes in for the Force, the Westerners were up 34 points to 19. And I thought, geez, we're seeing another Melbourne capitulation. I couldn't have been more wrong. After a really yeah. shaky opening 50, they lay on 29 unanswered points. They went bananas. I think it all started with Josh Cannon's amazing offload to put Josh Kemeny away in the 53rd minute. And then bang, bang, they're up tries. Gordon's got a double. Dalgunu's got two tries. Kellaway's still got two tries in the first half. I mean, all the Wallabies in that back line really stood up for the Rebels. And that was great to see. I mean, yes, they left it late, but you know, what a performance after that first week where we didn't think they had it in them. The, both the backs and then the forwards up front, they really laid down a market of the force. We've spoken about the Rebels leading into this season that some of their off-season off uh, signings, so the, the likes of Taniel Tupo, Filippo Dalgunu, uh, Salakai Loto, coming back to this, or coming back or coming to this province for the first time, the talent of having these guys in Australian rugby we were expecting them to play really well and to, um, I mean, some of us on this podcast expected them to finish high up in the table in the top four. So the opening round did not instill that confidence in this side and the opening maybe 60 minutes, 50, 60 minutes of this game also, they weren't doing that. So it will be really interesting to see if this was some, like a litmus test almost, like, like it, they needed that confidence win. Um that they just needed one win to go their way because once they got ahead on the scoreboard and they they kind of got caught back up to the force, got ahead for the first time in that game, that's when it, it's almost like the, the uh, Band-Aid was ripped off and they just looked like they were playing without fear. They were throwing the ball around like it was nothing. They were just instinctively playing and they looked like a much better team than anything we had seen round one or up into that, that uh, point in the game. So... Let's hope for the Rebels' sake that this is the win that they needed to springboard their season and moving forward um, they can produce great results for the rest of the season for their Melbourne-based fans. Shifting the focus across to the Western Force, one thing I think on the Rebels that we've uh, that's guaranteed them or, or secured them the win this week was their Wallabies players standing up. Andrew Kellaway, Filippo Dalgunu, um, Salakai Loto, Taniel Tupo, like those, all those players, Carter Gordon is another one. All those players stood up, had really, really great involvements in that last 25, 30 minutes. For the Western Force, they don't have the luxury of having a stacked back line or forward pack full of Wallabies. They've got Nick White, they've got Ben Donaldson, um, they have Isaac Rudder on the bench, uh, off the field. So they've got some names there, but they, they're starting to really uh, challenge or really they're finding it difficult to stay in games and to keep that lead going when they have the likes of um, Perth-based domestic players coming on off the bench and coming into this top level of Super Rugby. And that's challenging for Simon Cron. How does he arrest that momentum moving forward now and ensure that his team can get ahead early and stay ahead and, and and win some games moving forward now? Yeah, and the Force have a tough run. They're off to Canberra next week to come up against the Brumby side that will be absolutely stinging from their super round efforts. So it doesn't get easier for the Force. I thought it'd be good to point out Benny Donaldson. You mentioned him earlier, and I thought he actually had a really good game. Um, He was perfect off the tee with six from six. He scored a try of his own, had a couple of assists, and looked really composed. But as the game started getting away from him, he wasn't able to wrestle that control back. And I think that's what stands out and what you mentioned about the star power. He just didn't have that support around him outside, whereas he couldn't rely on the Kellaways, the Dalgunus, um, those impact players that can pull something out of nothing. 
So the force, heaps of work for them. I thought there was a big moment for them on just about the half hour mark. They were flying, they're absolutely flying. And um, that try to, I think it was uh, Max Bury. Harry Potter makes a break, feeds Bury for a two-on-one, and it's called back for a forward pass. At that point, it would have taken the force two scores clear and they would have been racing home at halftime. Instead, that gets pulled back and Kellaway scores um, a couple of phases later. So it was a really tough transition. Sorry, uh, Carter Gordon scores. So just those, those little key moments for the force, they weren't quite able to wrestle momentum back. But 29 points in as many minutes, that's a terrible way to end their game. So plenty for them to look at ahead of heading to Canberra. Yeah, let's keep moving along because we have uh, another four games to focus on. So that next one, first game of Saturday afternoon was Moana Pacifica against the Fijian in Drua. Now, this was a, a crazy game. Now, we've spoken about some really exciting games in Super Round up to this point. 39-36, and Moana did it late in this one as well. This went right down to the wire. You've seen this full game, Lockie. Did you think that Moana Pacifica were going to pull this one out of the bag? Their first ever win against the Fijian in Drua. This, the score changed hands so many times in this game. It was quite hard to keep up. Let the record show. Go check the tapes from last week. I tipped them. I tipped them to break their Pacific drought, and they did it. But, God, I was stressed about it, Mitch. They left it very late. <laughs> I think Fiji pulled off one of those comebacks that only the Fiji and Drewer can do. I think three tries in the last 10 minutes, just about. It was just a ridiculous, ridiculous comeback from them. And it was all out of what was a pretty innocuous first half. You know, there's a lot simmering under the under the scene of the game uh, that, that was painted for us. It was 15-8 at halftime. There'd been a couple of shots, but no one had cracked things open. And then Moana scored twice with 14 men on the field in the second half. They shake off um, Nigel Wong's shoulder charge. And they just start rolling forward. The piggies were immense. It looked like they were well clear. And then Celestino Ravatamunda just started making line breaks for fun on the flip side. So to finish 39-36 with a chance to shoot for a draw and golden point by the drawer, and instead they quick tap and run it. I mean, you can't no, write this kind it. of stuff. It was, oh, it was just ridiculous Pacific footy at its finest. It was honestly... Up until the Tars game, it was my favourite game of the round. And I think it still might be just for the, the joy and the, the free-flowing nature of this game. But I just everything about it made me love rugby even more, Mitch. For, for, for those that haven't seen this game, there was a what sums this game up perfectly is I think there was about six or seven minutes left to go on the clock. Moana Pacifica had just scored to take the lead. Um, they're walking slowly back to halfway to take the kickoff. And the commentators are talking, all right, what, are the, what does Moana need to do now to make sure that they win this game? And so the commentators talking about, you know, you take it easy, you walk slowly, you take as much time as you can, you, you know, kick to touch, you, you, you really slow the pace of the game off. Moana kick off, Drew will receive the kickoff, go three phases, make a break in the center of the field and run through untouched and score to take the lead back. And you're just thinking, this is crazy. Like there's one team here who's trying to slow the game down and, and, and win it out and then Drew will come and pull something out like that. And I think from that point on, the lead changed twice yet to go. So if you haven't watched it, make sure you do go back and at least catch the, the 20 minutes because this was an incredible game with a lot of feeling on the line for both teams. Um, I think we've spoken enough about non-Australian teams. People are here for the game of the round and that is the Waratahs defeating the Crusaders 37-24. Now, before we get too much into the actual performance, I want to make it known that Darren Coleman now has the best winning percentage over the Crusaders of any Super Rugby coach currently. I think it's something like 66%. He's won three of the last four games against the Crusaders. It's a good rap. It's a very good rap, and it'd be interesting to see how these few weeks pan out. We've obviously heard media reports that there's four weeks for him to, you know, keep his job, make or break, whatever. So much comes down to this Highlanders game. So use the ticket code for goodness sake. Get behind the Tars. But I've got to ask you this, Mitch. 90 seconds in and the Crusaders are already up 5-0. How are you feeling about this one, given that pre-game you tipped them to lose by 50? It was a soft try. And that's where I thought, like, here we go. You know, the the, the, the regular... Uh, season game takes over here. The the Crusaders will score another few quick, easy tries. Waratahs just won't be in it. But no, that's not what happened. 
The Waratahs got the lead, and from that point on, I don't think the Crusaders got it back at ever in this game. What an absolute incredible performance from the men in blue this week. It was it was massive. It was massive. The just moments through the game where you realize that the Tars weren't going away and they kept surprising me. Um, Houston class charged down, obviously a great example of good hustle after a Crusaders scoring play from their, I believe their second penalty. Um, but for me, the big turning point was that first um, Gordon intercept where he ends up going 80 meters, scoops it up off the deck. And it's just that typical Jake Gordon play where he's lurking around waiting for the loose pass from the ruck. And he did it twice. He got his intercept later in the piece as well, but he was just at the heart and soul of every part of that um, Satyrs win. Let it be known, going into halftime 23-10 is so unusual for the Tars being the team that scores at the death. At the death, that's always Kiwi territory is that danger area cliche around halftime, but it was Harry Wilson who ended up bouncing over for that try. And for me, I think all that first half and that ability to wrestle control back off the Crusaders was laid up by your boy Tane Edmund. Yeah, I think one one thing we've seen uh, from the Waratahs this week, and as you said, that those those crucial moments between the ten minutes before and after half time is the golden period where New Zealand teams come to play. That's where they win games. They score with it close to half time. They come out after half time. They score again, and usually that fourteen point is enough to sort of parachute them through for the rest of the half. What the Waratahs did so well is they contained the Crusaders. They kept the ball off them. They slowed their ball, their own ball down on attack, and they just did not allow them easy access into their own the Waratahs twenty two to try and score those points. And as you as you rightly highlighted, Tane Edmund led this team around with assurance, confidence. Um, it, it was just it's one of those things. It was it was almost like this Waratahs team was playing like the Kiwis. It was almost like the the roles were reversed. So many times you see in Super Rugby or in international football that when these Kiwis team Kiwi teams get on a roll, everything seems to go their way. The ball bounces for them. You know, the, the 50-50 calls go their favor. Um, the simple mistakes, they just don't start making. And that's what was happening for the Waratahs. The Crusaders were under so much pressure that they were making simple mistakes. They'd make a line break and then just drop the ball cold. They'd throw forward passes. They were throwing the line out. They just weren't throwing the ball in straight. So they were getting pinged consistently. The Waratahs are putting them under so much pressure that the Crusaders were not playing Crusader football that we've come to expect in the last few seasons, which was really, as an Australian fan, is so refreshing, was so exciting to see an Australian province. Take away the fact that it was New South Wales. It would have been awesome if it was the Reds or the, uh, Reds or the Brumbies doing this as well. Just putting an assured performance up against the Kiwis and sort of choking them of their own style of play, which was awesome. You're really right about the Kiwis, particularly the Crusaders, feeling pressured, feeling restricted. It's something that is unusual and alien to them. But I thought two little moments in that second half highlighted that beyond belief. The first was in the 65th minute, uh, David Harvey dropping it cold, dropping it cold inside the 22 from their most experienced back the All Blacks 12 that everyone's raving about, you know, he was the one that let them down there under the pressure. And then later in the piece, after Leo Willie's trying the 72nd minute, you think, oh, shit, you know, they're pushing back now. It's going to be two tries in two minutes. They're rolling back. Scott Barrett knocks it on. The Waratahs line-out stands up and delivers after being shaky early on. I mean, it was just this resilience that we haven't seen from the Tars for a little while and it came out and it was wonderful. It was wonderful to see them go. So I'll take off my Maroon hat and say a huge <laughs> shout out to the Tars. It was terrific. Any Australian team being a Kiwi team is cause for celebration, especially when it's the defending champs. And especially when it's the Waratahs, like not not in that it's the Waratahs and that's the best thing, but coming <laughs> into this this round, we'd all written the Waratahs off after their performance against the Reds last week. We're talking about two Aussie teams getting a, getting the win over the Kiwis, and not one of those teams has been spoken about being the Waratahs over the Crusaders. We're all pinning our hopes on the Brummies and the Reds to get the win. But no, the Waratahs put in arguably the best performance of the weekend and put so much pressure on the reigning champs that they just did not look like themselves. Now, one thing I do, one sort of caveat I do want to throw out, um, maybe we'll focus a little bit more on this on our Wednesday preview pod for next week, but I think the real challenge now comes for the Highlanders game next week, next Friday in Sydney. The Crusaders have lost so much raw talent 
in uh, the likes of Richie Mawanga. Um, uh, I just had a mind blank. What's the What's the second rower that's Scott? Oh, Sam Whitelock. Sam Whitelock. Sorry, they've lo- they've lost the talent of Richie Mawanga, Sam Whitelock. Um, you know, veteran All Blacks players that they've relied on for seasons, seasons and seasons to get them out um, off tricky positions when they find themselves in that. They didn't have that this week. They had a really inexperienced centre pairing who were new to this level of Super Rugby. And for once, we saw that the Crusaders were making mistakes. And nothing typifies that more than on full time, the Crusaders have a penalty to take it potentially to, they they take the kick, they go to the line out. Um, They have the opportunity to score a try. If they score a try there, they get a losing bonus point, which keeps them on the top of the table, uh, in the top half of the table, uh, or pushes them up, I should say. Actually, they lost last week. But in so many years gone by, you would expect the Crusaders to ace that line out, go to driving mall and score either under the posts or close to it. They balk the line out throw. The the, The reserve hooker goes to throw it and then stops, and then the Waratahs get a free kick, kick it out, win the game. So in no disrespect to the Waratahs at all, fantastic performance as a fan. It's really exciting. But the Crusaders were not the Crusaders of old. They weren't putting them they weren't putting the Waratahs as much under pressure. They never they they were themselves relieving that tap a little bit. So we, I think next week is going to be the real test for this Waratahs team. If they can show up like they did this week, there's no reason why they can't beat the Highlanders. But I think the Highlanders are a team that has shown that they're not going to make as many simple errors as the Crusaders did this week that allowed the Waratahs to get that momentum. I agree. And let's celebrate and soak up this win because the next two games we're going to talk about, Mitch, they're heartbreaking. They're heartbreaking in different ways. First up, the Chiefs and the Brumbies, mate. Talk me through this one. Gosh. So final score for those that haven't seen this one, and if you haven't seen it, probably don't, I would just say. Uh, 46-12 to 12 was the final score here to the Chiefs. Now, the Brumbies, talking about teams that don't play to their strengths or don't play the style of football that they've come to be known by, nothing typifies that mantra more than the Brumbies' performance today. This performance from the Brumbies was lackluster, if I can say, if you can sort of sum up in one word. The Chiefs were on fire. The Chiefs came to play. They're, they're playing Super Rugby this year with a mission to win the tournament, and you can tell that they... Didn't let the Crusaders go last week. They've come out and dominated the Brumbies this week. But the Brumbies just just looked shell-shocked for large parts of this game. We've expected the Brumbies to play hard at the breakdown, to go and have really strong, efficient set-piece. And that's one thing that is the pride of Brumbies rugby. And this week, that was not efficient in any facet. You bang on there, Mitch. And I wrote in my rap for rugby.com.au that they were unbrumbies. The pack was unbrumbies-like. Maybe their last week against the Rebels, it wasn't a good enough test because the Rebels were so poor. But they just looked totally shell-shocked and totally out of their depth. The Chiefs ripped through them. So you had Naitoya Arkoi in the 79th minute with his side up by 34 points, still winning a try-line turnover, still wanting it more. And that would absolutely kill Brumbies fans watching on the sideline. Imagine being Laurie Fisher, wringing your bucket hat back at home, looking at the Brumbies pack performance where they got totally smashed by Luke Jacobson, Tupo Viam, and Akisobi Rickett. All these players dominated their opposite number. And that's a really tough thing to take from the Brumbies because, I mean, they didn't fire a shot. Corey Tool scores two individual tries and that's it. I was just about to say, if there's one shining light for the Brumbies, it's Corey Tool. I mean, that guy has shown that even in a well-beaten side, he's the standout star. He's done that week in, week out in this for the Brumbies in the last few seasons. He's clearly putting his name. If I was Joe Schmidt, who's just started last Friday, I'd be penciling his name into that 11 jersey at the moment because he's been on fire to start 2024. Um, If we look at the team around him, though, I'd struggle to see or... The area that I highlight is probably what is causing some issue for the Brumbies at the moment is experience and leadership. So we've seen um, without the likes of Nick White on the field, who's your stand-in captain when stuff starts to turn and the game starts to get away from you, uh, without Alan Alatoa there to sort of steady the ship and get the boys going, we've got Ryan Lonergan, who as great as a player as he is, as much as Ando loves him, and as much as he's a, a future captain of the Wallabies potentially, he doesn't have the experience to really, I guess, 
turn the momentum back in the Brumbies' favour when they're not playing the way that they've trained and that they've prepared throughout the week. And I think that's what we saw this week. Outside of uh, Ryan Lonigan as the captain, there weren't leaders in this forward pack. There weren't leaders in the centres who were sort of leading the team and the players around them and arresting that momentum back in their own favour. I agree. And look, a quick shout-out, James Slipper became the second-highest-capped Australian Super Rugby player in this game, 173 caps he won today. So big shout out to him, but he can't do it all himself as a leader in that pack. No Triple A is such a big. Not at his age either. Yeah, exactly. But like Alan Alatoa, we've seen both through the Wallabies documentary, through um, the past few years as he's grown as a leader down at the Brumbies, he really is the the heart of that team. And not having him there, both as a player shoring up that tight head, but also as their their talisman, is a really tough thing to see for the Brumbies. There is something missing from there. So I'm interested to see how he goes as he recovers, enters the team again, what impact that has on him. Because um, Sefa Kautai, having a pretty rough introduction and reintroduction as a starting tight head at Brumbies, who are also without Tom Ross because he's over at the Waratahs. So they're deeply, deeply Seen down the tight heads there. Uh, <laughs> But the biggest matchup I thought, and one that brought Noel Olesea crashing down to earth, was his matchup against Damien McKenzie. Damien McKenzie, oh. you as a man with him in your fantasy team, must be oh. buzzing because he was puppeteering. 21-point masterclass, three line break assists, a line break of his own, a try of his own, and 16 points off the tee. He kicked 600 metres gained. 600 metres gained off That's the boot, just- Mitch. He was ridiculous. I guess the one thing that I will say as an Australian rugby fan is how frustrating it is to see that again that uh, the the what's the word um, the factory of player of talent in New Zealand rugby continues. Damian McKenzie go, uh, um, Richie Moonga goes overseas to Japan. Damian McKenzie steps up and he's you know at the moment he's really putting his hand up for that number ten jersey for the All Blacks come later the season. As much as a what Wallabies fan as it sits as it hurts to watch and to see how well he's going as just a pure rugby fan, he's just so exciting to watch. Like you want to watch Chiefs games to see how good Damian McKenzie is going to play, and he's just been a step above everyone else, his own team included, the past two weeks of this competition. Yes, he's so he's so good to watch, and the way that he links up with. Sean Stevenson, uh, Etienne Nanai Saturo was great as well on the wing again. And Anton Leonard-Brown just holding it down. He's still trucking along in the centres there. So they've got ridiculous spoils when it comes to their backline talent. And it's going to be a huge test for my boys, the Reds, coming up against them next week. Because as we're going to talk about, the Reds once again have been stung by a Kiwi team. That's super round, Mitch. So to, to finish things off, the last game of the weekend was played this afternoon between the Hurricanes and the Reds. Now, this did go, as we said in the intro, to extra time. At full time, it was 33-all. Um, and or myself, who weren't able to watch the game, <clears throat> were following along on on the app or on an app to, uh, to follow the score. And we thought that it was, at full time, a draw. And the app didn't update for 15 minutes after full time to to say that the Hurricanes did eventually win 38-33, which was heartbreaking to hear because I was actually pumped. I was like, well, I mean, a loss is crap, but I'll take a draw. I'll take a win over the Crusaders and a draw with the Canes. And it wasn't to be, unfortunately. No, a draw probably would have been fair, but no one actually likes draws. So good on them for taking this golden point and seeing it through. It went 86 minutes in the end before... Pasilio uh, Tossi ended up panning over the line from close range to win it. 38 points to 33. It was, in many ways, the perfect end to Super Round. Over 400 points scored and the last ones in golden point to decide it between two up-and-coming trans-Tasman rivals. It was a, it was a brilliant way to end Super Round. But just a, just a case of so close so far. Um, so near so far for the Reds. Again, the, their decade-long hoodoo against the Hurricanes is extended a little longer. And, you know, they had the red card. Jordy Barrett was sent off in his 100th game for a high shot. So they had 20 minutes with a player advantage and they, they didn't make the most of it. They couldn't get there. They had their chances towards the end in the 22. Um, with about eight minutes to go, Penny Ravide knocks the ball on over the try line. Uh, a little earlier, Jock Campbell In the act of scoring. In the act, in the of, act scoring. of scoring, Penny. Oh. 
Oh. Um, Jock Campbell, Jock Campbell dropped it cold, you know, with the try line begging in space in front of him as well. Um, and then Cam Roygaard scoring right on half time. That's just a coach killer of the highest order. So the Reds, at the end of the day, they've only got themselves to blame, but they gave it a bloody good crack. And I'm, I'm still sitting here really proud of what was a performance from a Reds team that is on the up. One of the things that we spoke about on our uh, preview podcast last Wednesday evening uh, when we were previewing this fixture was the fact that Les Kiss had not coached against an Australian super side before. And we were wondering, or I was particularly wondering, if he would make any changes or significant changes to his game plan to account for the counter-attack style that we know uh, the, the Kiwi teams are so proficient at. From watching the game, Lockie, was there any clear changes to the game plan? Did Reds do things differently this week than they did last week over the Waratahs? Not particularly. I felt as though they maintained a lot of the same game style that steered them well against the Tars, but it was those last 10 minutes where the composure started to crack. And I think that's just experience, Mitch. We saw, to my eyes, the Reds revert to the Brad Thorne era of trying to crack and back towards the end to get their way, and it, it didn't work. They couldn't crack him at the end. The Canes were too tough, too dogged, too determined to do it for Geordie Barrett in his big milestone game. And as soon as it went to golden point, I wasn't confident that the Reds would get there. The way that the Canes finished, um, they ended up going that 90 metres from a scrum that was going backwards to force a last gas play in regular time. I was, they were just as likely to win it then as they did an extra time. So, so much of that came down to their back row. And I know that we've talked about the Reds' back row a fair bit, that Wright, McWright, Wilson trio, but they got outpointed. They got really outpointed. Um, Braden Yosse was a barrel um, at number eight. He was folding blokes all day. He absolutely flattened Hunter Paisami to give you an indication of how tough this bloke is. I know that you love Hunter after last week, but players like Peter Lack. <laughs> Peter Did you Lack, take any nine, heads seven. off this week? Any HIAs? Um, no, that was that was Jordy Barrett trying to kill Jordan Bataille yeah. with a head high. <laughs> um, but yeah, T- TK Howden and Peter Lackey, they tackled their hearts out. And that physicality that the Hurricanes got, I think it shocked it shocked the Reds more than the counter-attack of the Hurricanes did. So a great lesson there. Um, post-game, Les Kiss was pretty, pretty reflective, pretty somber about the affair. But I think for this to happen in round two... Gee, it's good for the Reds' development. I think it sets them in a really interesting path coming against the Chiefs this weekend or this coming weekend. I was about to say that. Look, um, out of everything that you can get out of a fixture against the Kiwis, particularly the first one of the season, uh, you can't all be as good as the Waratahs and get a win. Like, that's granted. They're clearly (laughs) head and shoulders above the rest. But no, I think getting the win would have been fantastic for this Queensland side, but getting a losing bonus point going to extra time. I think this young Queensland team, and we've been saying this for such a long time now, a young Queensland team, but that's what they are. They're still young. They've still got players there that are 23, 24. Like they're not, they don't have a heap of experienced players around them to really settle heads and make the right decisions at key times, but they will get so much learnings out of this, taking the Hurricanes to extra time, to golden point, as you said, they, on reflection, they might not have handled that those extra eight minutes as well as they could have, reverting to old styles, not going to the new game plan. Um, but moving forward, I think we might reflect on this and see that this was probably the best thing for the Reds early in the season, that yes, they didn't get the, the loss. They still came away with a point. It's kept them in the top four, which is freaking awesome, and we'll talk about that in a sec. But they will be able to learn how to soak up pressure how to make the right decisions so that when it gets to that again later in the season, when it gets to playoff time, if they can hang with teams and get within the last five, 10 minutes of a team and be within a score, then they're going to be able to look back on this and say, okay, well, we've done this. We know what not to do. We know what we can do better moving forward. And that's probably all you can ask for from a team that's on the rise, particularly a young coach team who hasn't played a lot of international football under this coaching regime. Yeah, agree. Massive week coming up. And we'll have a quick look at the ladder now. And if you can see it in front of you, if you're having a look on your phone as you listen to the pod, it's a bit stacked up top for Kiwis, uh, for my liking. Um, We've currently got the Chiefs still riding high in top spot. They're currently on nine points. And so are the Hurricanes and the Blues. So both those teams, two wins, 
and a bonus point to boot as well. Fourth place, we've got the Queensland Reds, courtesy of their bonus point against the Canes. And then the Highlanders, Brumbies and Rebels all round out the teams on five points. New South Wales Waratahs, that win over the Crusaders and the points difference has them in the top eight. Currently, you are finals, you are finals bound with only 13 rounds to go, which is a very good sign of things to come. Uh, in Stop ninth minor Pacifica. Stop the count. Ninth place minor Pacifica and winless are the Crusaders, Fiji and Drua, and Western Force. Mitch, what a weekend of footy. What else can we add to that before we pass out? What a freaking wrap up. Like what a great what a great round of football. Super round is something that we've wanted to see competitive games. Super Rugby Pacific is a tournament that we've craved competition. We've craved competitive fixtures between Australian and Aussie uh, Australian and Kiwi uh, rivals for years and it hasn't quite been that. This year hopefully we are seeing that gap closing where we've seen some great fixtures the Waratahs got up the Reds went within a whisker of getting a win. Uh, the Brumbies showed last week what they can do. The Rebels haven't yet played a Kiwi side, but you know the ceiling is there for them to get that win as well. So really, really exciting. I'm really looking forward to doing our preview on Wednesday night for this coming weekend. I think that's going to be a real uh, interesting... There's some really interesting matchups coming up this weekend that's going to really challenge and set a good precedent, I think, moving forward in this competition a real litmus test of sorts to sort of see where we are. We came into this round hoping to get two or three wins against Kiwi opposition. We came away with one and a half, I'll say. And I think overall that's good enough at this point. That that Waratahs win has Aussie rugby fans up and about. There's interest back in the competition. There's interests back in supporting the Tars again. And I think that's the best thing for Australian rugby at the moment, just to get people talking about rugby again. So go down, go down and get your tickets to the Tars next weekend. Use code PICK, $20 gold seats. Hang out with the famous Mitch and the famous Ando at the Tar Bar. Have a couple of tins and cheer on your rugby boys. And until then, we'll see you on Wednesday for our pod recording Wednesday night, coming out Thursday morning, the Super Rugby Wind-Up. Thanks very much for your time, and we'll see you later. Well done, Lockie. Catch you Wednesday. See you then, team. Bye.